dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Leading others is not easy. Sometimes our road is marked by sorrow and hardship. The same was true in the life of the Virgin Mary. Her role as mother of the Son of God was marked with sorrow, in particular when she was forced to flee into Egypt, taking her son with her. Mary had to carry the sorrow of the persecution and death of the holy innocents, the children in Bethlehem, who were killed by the king. Mary had to play her role as mother with a broken heart, but she led all the same. Hey everybody, welcome back to this series that we're doing on Our Lady as the Queen of Leaders. I've got to laugh every time I say that title because it just sounds so odd. Mary, Queen of Leaders, you know, but like there's no other way to really describe it. Like if all of us are called to be saints and every saint in one way or the other leads their world, right? Influences their world actively for Christ. Well, then all of us are called in one way or the other to lead. Leadership, in a sense, is for everyone. It's not just a question of who's in charge or who's out in front. A a good follower will lead because the people around them will learn to follow by their example of leadership. Uh, People who stay at home and take care of kids all day, they're also leaders in, in incredible ways. You can't take care of kids unless you lead. You know this because otherwise the kids will lead. That's what I mean. Like we have to broaden our understanding of this because when Jesus sent his Christians into the world, he sent them in as people of activity. You are supposed to assert the faith, bring Christ's presence, not be passive in your life, blaming your situation on someone who chose to be more of a leader than you were, right? In the end, why is it that the, the evil people are taking over our culture, for example, if you feel that way? Or why is it that my family is a mess? Well, there's many reasons, of course, but one of them might be because they wanted it more. They actually wanted that position. We, we let go and abdicated, in one way or the other, the responsibility that we had over a situation to do the right thing and to do it well. Well, Christ came in the world to help us to do the right thing by his grace. And that means that the fruit of Christian grace is leadership of our culture. The culture of our home, the culture of our marriage, the culture of our friendships, the culture of our cities. Once we we get that deep down aside, then we can start looking for examples. And of of course, the Lord is the king of all leadership. He is the king of kings after all, right? So he's the one that we look to as the example of leadership. And yet the saints can also help us to get a glimpse into Christ's power as a leader. And we can understand more and more of his leadership in all of his dimensions by looking at the body of Christ, the church, and how each member of that body of Christ typifies and brings out a beautiful part and aspect of Christ's leadership. So that's where Our Lady comes in, the Virgin Mary, 
to show in a very beautiful and a unique way some of that power that's that's located in Christ the King. Now the thing about Mary is that she's misunderstood. Most of the time when we think of Mary, we imagine her as a sweet maiden holding some sort of lily, you know, in our church, <laughs> harmless and and never harmed, right? A completely kind of innocent and neutral figure uh, who makes us feel good because her statues are always so beautiful. But actually, there's a lot more to her than that kind of image. When you look at the biblical Mary, you see a woman who is caught up in a, dra- a drama and in dramatic circumstances uh, at many different points in her life. Let's just take, for example, at the birth of Christ, right? She gives birth to the Lord. And then almost immediately, Joseph has a dream wherein he is told uh, to, to take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. So Mary has to leave Jerusalem and leave Israel, the, the country of her origin, without even going back home. Now, when they left Nazareth, therefore, what about all of her stuff? You have all of her things. I always think about her cat, for example. If the Virgin Mary had a cat, <laughs> the cat would be dead because, <laughs> no, I don't think Mary had a cat. But like if she did, like she left in such haste that they went down to register, she suddenly gives birth. And the next thing she knows, she has to go all the way to Egypt. St. Joseph wouldn't have had his tools with him. Uh, they would have left behind whatever they would have left behind and had their entire lives, their friends, their relatives, and they're supposed to flee to another country. Now, that in and of itself is a hardship. Uh, what, where are they going to live on? Uh, who, what are their relationships going to be? How are they going to survive? And then they've got to get there, of course, you know, which is crossing uh, the desert south of, of Jerusalem and heading into Egypt. This is not going to be an easy road. There's going to be the bandits, the threats that come that way. But more profoundly than all of that is the fact that Our Lady has to go knowing that Herod is in pursuit of the child. And perhaps she even knew that he had decreed the death warrant of all the children under the age of two living in Bethlehem at that time. That's such a terrible thing to to contemplate. And, And Mary is carrying her child knowing that her child is the cause of the death for all of these other children. I mean, not directly, of course, but, but indirectly. And that all these other mothers will be weeping and mourning. And the cry will go up from Rama, right, of Rachel, who could not be consoled for her children were no more. And, and Mary, Mary gets to keep her son. Right? Like, how, how do you even cope with that, that you are safe and, and, and yet because of your son and your safety, um, these others are going to, to undergo a terrible trial and, and suffering and that you've been chosen to escape into Egypt and the others stay behind and, and die, right? So that, that's a very dramatic way of putting it, but it's, it's, it, it gets to the point of, of the broken heart that that had to represent for Our Lady because, I mean, it would represent that for any one of us and even more so for someone who's immaculate. She must have, must have been like a sword penetrating into her heart. And Catholics even have a devotion stretching back into the Middle Ages of Our Lady's Seven Sorrows. And this is one of the seven sorrows. Then they list them off, the seven moments of sorrow that we know afflicted her in her lifetime. And this is one of them, a sword piercing into her heart. My, my son has been saved and I've been called to save him 
from this tyrant and a, a, a senseless act that he's, that he's cast upon the earth, um, and, and yet I cannot save the others. And I think to myself, what was it that got Our Lady through that? And how did she cope with that? The only thing that I can, that I can think of is that Mary knew that one day her son would die for everyone else. And that she could accept to, to carry this sorrow for all these other mothers, knowing that, in fact, one day her son would redeem all of those children. And they, they would be saints with him in heaven. And so would these mothers and so would all of those who, who are suffering upon the earth, that she was saving the Savior. Right? And that this was a momentary salvation as she fled into Egypt, but it would be for the redemption of all those who died and all those who suffered at the hands of those who were unjustly persecuted. That one day her own son would offer his life at the, at, at the behest of an unjust decree. And, by, and, and accused unjustly uh, by those who were wrong in putting him to the cross. And that he would undergo that in order to join those children there and to redeem their blood and to bring all of this to glorify God. But you know, knowing that inside is one thing and going through that pain is another. And yet the fact that she went through that becomes also a source of inspiration for all of us in our leadership because many of us have to also lead with a broken heart. Are you a young adult between the ages of 22 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, June 25th through July 1st at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org slash rise above. Many of us picture Mary in a way that's simply not true, in the sense that we think of her in the abstract as kind of this wonderful figure of love and purity and wonderfulness. And, and we don't take enough into account the realism of the scriptures and the real pain that she had to go through and that she had to experience even while she was doing God's work on earth. And, and her work, of course, her leadership was of the most important kind. She was the mother of the Son of God. She had to rear the Son of God for the cross. Then she had to give the Son of God up as she sent him forth into his ministry, like leaving the intimacy with her home. And, and, and then she, she followed him, of course, all the way to the cross where she allowed him to die in front of her. And then when they lowered the body from the cross, of course, she would have been there to receive it. And then she did all of that in the context of, of such confusion. Let's remember a few facts. Number one, Israel had not had a prophet sent to it for 400 years, 400 years without a prophet. That's a very long time, which means that you had many people who, of course, will have fallen away from the faith. They would have not only apostatized and done the practices of the pagans, but even if they were still Jews, they weren't living it from the inside. The proof of it is that when the Messiah came, he wasn't welcomed, right? There was something missing in the, the practice of the faith at that time all around the Virgin Mary. How discouraging that must have been, for example, to know, as it says in John chapter 7, that some of Jesus' own cousins 
did not believe in him. <laughs> that would be Mary's own kin. Right? Didn't even believe in the Son of God. I mean, and, and then you have the civil situation where Israel's dominated by the Roman Empire. It no longer has the glory of its king, you know, the, the, to, to reign over it. There were so many reasons for Mary to, to give up and abdicate doing her job. What was her job? Give birth to and rear the Son of God to send him off to the cross for the salvation of the world. That was her job. I mean, when you think about influence and importance, other than the Son of God himself, Mary was the most important. I mean, you have two people that the entire course of history is going to revolve around. One is the Son, and the other who's the mother, whose job it was to bear the Son, rear him, protect him, feed him, train him, and then let him go. And that means that Mary's role here for, in terms of shaping the culture of the world was very profound. You wouldn't think of it in terms because it wasn't a direct shaping of, of, of the culture, but she did directly shape the culture by directly allowing God to do this mighty thing through her. And what amazes me is when you think of that, you look at it, the, the way that God did this was not in a way that was easy or comfortable or pleasant. I mean, there was, of course, moments of great joy in Mary's life. But, but when you think about what she went through and her flight to Egypt, and just as one example, and I mean, she, she leaves her home in Nazareth behind. Then she gives birth and is welcomed by the shepherds. That must have been joyful. And the three kings, that must have been wonderful. And then immediately, St. Joseph receives a dream and has to hustle Mary off with the child to a foreign country outside of Israel. Now, scripture scholars point out that there was a Jewish community living in Egypt at that time and that most likely Mary would have joined and Joseph would have joined the, the Jewish community there in Egypt so they would have at least been surrounded by their own people and their own faith and all of that. But at the same time, it's a foreign country. And, and Joseph's job, what, what, how would he have provided for the family? Some of the saints in the church's history have, have surmised that perhaps the gold that was given to them by the three kings was then used for them to live off of while they were in Egypt. But be that as it may, remember that Mary did not know when she would be able to go back home. They, she had to wait until the angel would once again tell her husband. It even says that. Stay there until we tell you to go back. Right? So Joseph and Mary had to simply wait for an undetermined amount of time, knowing that the leader of Israel was actively trying to kill her child. The anxiety that this would, would cause in any of us is just enormous. Mary wouldn't have had the same kind of anxiety that we have because she was immaculate. And yet at the same time, the legitimate understanding of the sorrow and suffering of this situation of her own people and the leadership of her own people actively trying to find the, the one who is proclaimed and was told by the wise men to be, of course, the Messiah, the, the one sent by God, and they're trying to exterminate him. And, and then as this, this hunt, this fear of this situation is present there, there's also the incredible sorrow of knowing the death of these others, all the other children in Bethlehem and, and their mothers. And, and all of that's inside of the heart of Mary. And, and it would be enough for most of us, you see, to get angry and say, I'm not going to follow God. How many of us do this? We, we want a religion that's without the cross. 
We want a, a leadership that's done without sorrow. And the secular world seems to celebrate that. The, the portrayal of the, of the powerful in our world today is always done w without any reference to the failures or the hardships or the heartaches that they go through. Almost like if you were really successful in life, then your life would be perfect. It just seems like leaders in our culture today don't have problems. They just deny them away. We, we, you don't see anyone going through the, the, the hardships that we go through in our life, not, not just the anxieties and worries, but the heartbreak, right? trying to put your life back together after a spouse dies, uh, tr trying to, to move forward when, when, when you've had an illness in your family or, or when something traumatic has happened to you and, and you're carrying kind of a PTSD around with you, right? And you say, my life is never going to be the same. It, 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 the, the temptation is to say, this is a sign that I'm not successful. And it's a sign that God hasn't protected me. And it's a sign that I, I don't have a real role to lead in our world today. There's three lies that the devil tells all of us. And I want you to, to remember these, write these down. And it's three lies, lies that you will feel when you're in a leadership position and your heart gets broken. The first is, it's all my fault. The second is, this happened because I am bad. And the third one is, I am entirely alone. Right? It's, it's all my fault. It happened because I'm bad. And I am all alone. Those three things, those three statements, are all the ways that the evil one will strive to cut you off from hope and keep your leadership at bay. Remember this, the only way that darkness can triumph over light is to keep the light from shining. The devil knows that if Christians sh shine their light, there is nothing that will stop the power of God in our world. And so he can't undo that light that comes from God except by convincing Christians that they are wrong for trying to shine it. And so when we have broken hearts, he's there to say, your heartbreak proves that you shouldn't even try. The sorrow that you have is only a proof that you're on the wrong path and therefore you know, abdicate your leadership. Don't do what God has sent you on the earth to do. But you know, that's not what Our Lady did. Our Lady's heart was broken and she kept going. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. I think that the presence of Our Lady and St. Joseph there in Egypt uh, really represents and shows us something of the grittiness of Mary's heart. The grittiness of her heart. I, I like that expression very much because it's actually a, a translation of the Greek word hypomone. Hypermone, which, which is used something like 30 times by St. Paul in his letters in the New Testament, saying Christians need this. Hypermone in Greek means literally your ability to endure in an exceptional way. 
right? So I think grittiness is a great translation for that in the end. And, and, and Mary's ability to endure faithful to what she needs to do in the presence of a threat, right? The fear of the king and the presence of, of sorrow as she shares the grief of the mothers and the children in the presence of the discomfort of the foreign land that she was in. How did she do it? I mean, when, when, when most of us are encounter this type of loss, we also withdraw. We, we, we don't let our light shine. But Mary had to, at that very moment, do the most that mothers have to do. She had to take complete control of a newborn. She had to teach him to smile. She had, she had to, to nurse him. She had to make sure that he was healthy. She had, to, she had to do everything that you have to do for a newborn child. I mean, it's 24-7 care that she was asked to give. So precisely at the moment where she was supposed to give her very best, it felt like the ground was taken out from underneath her. She's in a foreign country. She's living with people she doesn't know. I mean, th th it's enough to, to, that most of us in those situations would just be tempted to say that there's something wrong with them, that they're all by themselves, and that everything that's happened is their fault, right? There's kind of like a, a threefold denial of our ability to lead. And yet Mary, at that very moment, gives the very best of herself. How? The very first law that this teaches us is that we have to get over our perfectionism right? This is a profound rule. I think especially for Americans, we have such an idealistic notion of leadership where basically if you go to the best of colleges and then you get a great job and you have a wonderful office building and you wear your best suit of clothes, then you can give terrific presentations using the most advanced technology, you know, I mean, and get a round of applause for it and then afterwards get a raise. Like, that's so idealistic. It's not even real leadership. I mean, <laughs> I, mean, I get it that that's leadership, but like, man, there is so much more to it than that. Now, what do you do when you don't have those things, right? Would you be able to lead without the support of all of that stuff on the outside? You know, that, that's what I'd like to know. Mary didn't have that support. Mary had something else. She had the desire to follow God no matter what, even if it was in messy circumstances. Remember that great expression by G.K. Chesterton? He said, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. <laughs> now, Mary did everything. She didn't do it poorly. But, I mean, she had to just accept that like a, like a boat that's sent off into the ocean, you don't mind the waves. The, the, a boat is meant for waves. The waves go up, the waves go down. The winds hit you this way, that way. A boat is, a, you know, sailing is a very messy kind of art. You, you, don't, you don't worry about the perfection of your course. You worry about making it in the vicissitudes of what's happening. You navigate in a world that's not orderly, clean, and safe. And Mary was willing to do that. She took the next step, not knowing, for example, when she would leave Egypt. That had to be very you know, disconcerting. Well, what should we do? Should we build a house or should we not? And how, how do we make those decisions? Will you make them based upon the best that you can? And you accept that life is messy. And that's exactly where leadership can be the most assertive. It's when it's messy, it comes from the inside. And you take a stock of the situation that you have at every second and you adjust to it. The second principle that guided her in all of this is that of love. The, the, the love that she had for her son guided her to step forth and to face the challenges that were in front of her.
right? The, when, you, when you lose everything else, the leader who has love is able to overcome because there's something in love that touches kind of an, like an absolute. It's, it's, there's like a maximal strength in someone who's leading out of love because there's nothing stronger on the earth and no more motivating force on the earth than the love that's in our hearts. So Mary had to go back deep down into that love and realize, hey, I'm not in this for me and I'm not in this for comfort and I'm not in this for ease. I'm in this for God. This is why I, I go all the time to say that a Christian leader should have a, an advantage over other forms of leadership. Leaders that lead out of Christianity, lead out of a strength of love that, that doesn't have any comparison with anything else on the earth because you're living directly in a service for God. And there's no one higher than God, and therefore there's no deeper in active service, and nothing, therefore, that's more powerful for overcoming the challenges that are in front of you. And the purity of Mary's faith, you see, allowed her to say, even if I lose my security, and even if I have a broken heart while doing it, I will persevere because this is an act of service to the Most High God whom I love. Wouldn't it be amazing if we, if we did the same, if we had that same attitude? be absolutely extraordinary. And we can, of course. And the third principle that guided her and that can also guide us leading with a broken heart is humility. I think that what the, the number one obstacle in our way is ourselves. Honestly, you think about it. If, if I could get over myself and my own image of what I'm supposed to be in terms of success and my own desire to be esteemed in the eyes of other people, well, then the problems of my life really wouldn't be a problem. I don't think that problems are the problem. I think having problems with having problems, that's the real problem, okay? The real problem is that we, we think that life isn't supposed to be the way that it is for us. And so therefore we object to what's going on. Look at the humility of Mary and St. Joseph. To be told by God to go into this other place where they know no one and there's to wait there until God says for them to go back. It took immense humility for the two of them to say, okay, I mean, we're putting our entire lives on hold, our social lives on hold, all of our friendships on hold. It doesn't matter, God. All that matters is you. I mean, to do that, you have to have a really healthy and wonderful sense of yourself saying, I am but a creature, a handmaid of the Most High God. And therefore, it doesn't matter if history overlooks me or if people don't like me or if that everything in my life gets upset. I, 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 I am here for a bigger picture, something more marvelous than me is going to be written through my life. And that's all that matters. My visions, my possessions, what happened to me, my own desire for self-realization, it's all given over to God. And I want him to work his plan out for the best. The ability to embrace what is messy, the centrality of the love that motivates us, and the humility to allow God to do what he wants with our life in his way. These are the three principles that allow Mary to lead with a broken heart. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.